Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So last night we read Psalm 46 and talked through that passage of Scripture with our teenagers. Um, We're just recognizing that a lot of things are in flux and changing, and they're obviously hearing about the potential of school closures. They know of schools closed um, in our area. They know know of people who are now self-quarantined for a couple of weeks where we live. That's probably true where you are as well. Uh, they certainly are aware of sort of the rising uh, or risen, I don't know, (laughs) elevated level of anxiety in the culture at large. And so we talked about what does it mean for God to be our refuge? What does it mean for God to be our strength? What does it mean for God to be our stronghold? What does it mean to live as people who do not fear even when other people are very much afraid? And what does it mean to bear positive public witness to that, you know, while still taking care of the concerns that we might have, uh, legitimate concerns, and while doing the things that we are recommended to do, how do we also not live in fear? And and how do we um, how do we hide in him? We talked about that a little bit. Like, so, you know, this opportunity, maybe you could embrace staying home as an opportunity instead of some sort of like weird penalty or restriction? And what does it mean to um, be a person who's as much concerned about the welfare of others or interested in others as I am interested in myself? We did talk about those people who have have the coronavirus and yet have openly, knowingly subjected other people in public spaces to it um, and just how irresponsible that is. So um, those are maybe some conversations that you want to have with young people in your own life. We ask them, what are the things that are going on in the world that make them feel anxious or worried? Um, and what do we do with that? How do we deal with those things? Um, not only in conversation with one another, but prayerfully before the Lord. And then we made a list. Uh, and so this is one of the things I'm just going to encourage you to do. Um, if we had to stay home, if we literally had to stay on our you know physical property for two weeks, if we I mean literally like beyond waving to the neighbors, you know, you're not going anywhere. What are some of the things that you would miss being able to do? And what are some things you would want to do with that time? So um, here was here was the list of things that we came up with we would want to do with our time if we were uh, told to stay home for two weeks. The list of home improvement projects, by the way, is fairly long. Uh, plant spring flowers, which means we need to pick up a flat of flowers and have them ready to plant. Plan the garden and plant seeds so that we'll be ready to uh, to plant the garden when the time comes. Uh, Matthew wants to start incubating chicks. It takes longer than 14 days to do that, but uh, it we may let him just like go ahead so that if we end up in a quarantine in the next couple of weeks, um, we would uh, we would be able to watch the chicks hatch. So that'd be fun. Clean out my closet. That's that's on my list. Reorganize the attic. 
work in the wood shop, that's on Jim's list, take a hike in the woods, camp out in our own backyard, read a book together, actually reread the Narnia series together. So the kids did that individually with Jim when they were little. Uh, he read to them. We're now at the age and stage where they could read that book series back to us. We think that would be fun. Do that big puzzle Grandma gave us for Christmas. Learn to cook some of our favorite meals. Do my science fair project. Research colleges online. Work on some writing projects. And then can we go to the park and play Frisbee golf? Could you find out if we'll be allowed to go to the park? So that's on my list of to-dos. Would we be allowed to go to the park if, like, right, our community was in some sort of you-have-to-stay-home-for-a-couple-of-weeks scenario? Um, all right, so there you go. What uh, what kinds of conversations could you have with your friends and family? I recognize there are people under all all kinds of different levels of stress and anxiety related to this. Let me encourage you to look for um, look for the staycation positives in this. Let's see if we can't find a few of those. Up first this morning, I'm going to talk with Jamie Ayton from Wheaton's Humanitarian Disaster Institute. They have all kinds of resources posted now online. They're free. They're downloadable. There are webinars. Um, you you do not need to live as a person who is unprepared or disconnected. Uh, there are lots of opportunities uh, for us as individuals, as leaders of churches and organizations to positively engage. So up next, Jamie Ayton will be with me. We'll be right back. Is Jamie Ayton. He's the founder and executive director of Wheaton's Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Jamie, thank you for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me. So you guys at HDI have prepared a really com- comprehensive resource entitled Preparing Your Church for Coronavirus, COVID-19, and then the companion docu- document, which is a church planning template. Um, I am thrilled to to have you on so that you can talk with us about how uh, churches can access this and what it contains. Yeah, absolutely. So our team's been working around the clock since uh, we started becoming aware of just how this may impact the U.S. and have pulled together this new manual that builds on work that we've done with a number of different public health agencies over the in the past times, as well as the research that we've done around public health crises. And our goal was really to make a simple and easy to use resource that would be accessible to churches, whether they're a small congregation or a large megachurch, that it outlines really kind of six core steps that any church can take using, uh, you know, the gifts that God's already give them, building on their theology, starting with prayer, and leveraging their existing ministries so that they're not having to start from scratch. All right. And the easiest way for people to find this, I mean, actually, if they just Google Wheaton and HDI, it comes up. But is there a simple way for people to find it without me having to give them a long URL? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to wheaton.edu backslash HDI, and that'll take you to our main website page. And right there, right away, you'll see information about these resources. But folks can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram uh, or me on Twitter. And um, we're regularly sharing information there, too. So if you just scroll down on the page, and again, wheaton.edu backslash HDI, that stands for Humanitarian Disaster Institute. If you scroll down that page, 
you're going to see um, the picture of the coronavirus, and then you're going to see something that says COVID-19 resources for the church. Um, if you click on uh, that that little bar right there, you're going to get uh, everything that we're talking about today. Um, I'm going to share this on all of my social media as well. I'm just going to really encourage you to um, to get these resources and share them with the leaders of your church so that we don't have to just keep reinventing the wheel. Um, Jamie, you guys have, you're at this all the time. So responding to crises of various kinds is not new for you. It is new for many people in local congregations across the country, particularly at the scale and magnitude with which uh, we're talking right now. So walk us through um, some of the steps. Um, you know, once once you convince us, convince us that we are going to uh, not be anxious for anything, which I appreciated in the introduction, what are we going to do next? Well, one of the things I really want to encourage us to do is to make sure that we start our preparing uh, in a way that's done faithfully and that it's not fearfully driven. And I think the best way to do that is to start with prayer. That, you know, I've heard different times, sometimes Christians say things like the last thing that we can do or all we have left to do now is prayer. But I really think that as we see throughout Scripture, that that needs to be the first place that we start. And then to start to look to Scripture for different examples, like the story of Joseph and and how he faithfully prepared Egypt and reached out to the underserved to get ready for a potential challenge ahead, or looking at Nehemiah and and how Nehemiah responded uh, to the wall being destroyed. And, And then to start thinking about what are the things that our church already does well? You know, I think one of the things that's most overwhelming to churches is that this is a new challenge and that a challenge that very few have gone through. But at the same time, I think, again, if we look to Scripture and we look at what our churches have been called to do in the past, we've likely already built skills that we can start to pivot, so to speak, to address this public health emergency. You know, So, for example, say your church has a strong ministry to the elderly and kind of a Meals on Wheels ministry, for example, then start there, you know, make it a priority of how could your church minister to the elderly and what are the ways that you've done that successfully and how can you pivot those to address the challenges ahead? So that's really where I see our our initial starting point. I know that there are people listening right now who are going to say to themselves, wow, I wish that I could have my pastor you know, hear Jamie in person or a way for my pastor to be able to ask direct questions. Um, Let's be sure that we tell people about the webinars that you guys are going to be hosting starting noon today, Friday, the 13th of March, but you're planning to do them um, every Friday during during this time season of need, let's let's say. Um, So how can people find more information about these webinars? If you go to the same website that Carmen and I have shared about, you'll find information on our resource page about how to sign up for the free webinar. So the first one will launch, as Carmen mentioned, on on Friday at noon Central Standard Time. And this initial seminar, my colleague Kent Annan and I will be walking through leaders and listeners on how to get their churches prepared for the coronavirus And the other thing that we're doing, as you mentioned, is that we're planning just to have this every single Friday for as long as is needed so that that way we can help churches adapt to the ever rapidly changing needs that are occurring and unfolding over time. And so, again, that's a free webinar. You can find it on our resource center. And one of the other things I would encourage people that are thinking of joining is in addition to going through the uh, manual, we also developed a free downloadable church planning template. And you can actually go through, download it on your own computer, 
and then actually complete the plan and save it so that you could share it with your other church leaders. So you you would have an automatic digital uh, completed plan by the end of it. And we walk you through, give you examples, and we'll also be going through some of those types of issues on Friday too. So if you've ever filled a form out um, as a PDF form and then printed it, that's, that is what this um, church planning template looks like. And so you get to actually amend it um, with information that is, you know, accurate and timely for your own situation, congregation, and community. Um, and then when you print it out, it has all of your specific information in it. So it's just a really valuable resource. And again, everything that we're talking about today, the church planning template, information's about signing up for the webinar or, um, or, the, or the entire step-by-step research-informed faith-based planning manual that's called Preparing Your Church for Coronavirus COVID-19. All of it is available at wheaton.edu backslash HDI. That stands for Humanitarian Disaster Institute. I'm talking with Jamie Ayton, and he and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation now with uh, Jamie Ayton. Um, Jamie serves in, in multiple uh, capacities at Wheaton, but he is the founder and executive director of Wheaton's Humanitarian Disaster Institute. And he's talking with us today about resources, free resources that are available to you um, through wheaton.edu backslash HDI to prepare your church to positively and faithfully respond to the coronavirus or COVID-19. Jamie, let's return to some of the step-by-step information and guidance that's provided um, to churches. So after we have, you know, prayerfully begun this process and and recognize we're going to be prayerful throughout, um, we've gotten ourselves organized. Let's say we have already created our health team. How do we begin developing a communication strategy? Well, one of the things that, again, I want to just keep uh, reiterating here is that want to encourage churches to start with how they already serve and minister to others. So again, we don't have to necessarily start from scratch to develop our communications plan either. So what I would encourage you to do is to think about how is it that our church already reaches out to members of our own church, as well as to other churches and the broader community around us. Maybe you have a social networking platforms that you utilize. Maybe you have a up-to-date website that you regularly engage. You know, whatever those day-to-day processes are, you know, start there. But at the same time, we do need to think about the most vulnerable in our community, especially those that may not have access to all the technological advantages. You know, I, I think one of the things that is a bright spot in all of this is that over the last several years, churches have become more tech savvy, and many congregations already do things like live stream either through their own services or you know even maybe it's just using Facebook Live. So we do have a lot of technology that can even help us run small groups um, on these different platforms. But at the same time, even though that will be helpful to a significant amount of people in our churches, should it come to that, that uh, we need to communicate in those ways, that we need to remember that maybe the elderly or those who are illiterate or have fewer resources may not have access to those same forms of technology. So it could be time for us to bring back the uh, prayer chain. You know, if you, uh, the church I grew up in, you know, that's the way that and we the, often... And the phone tree. Yeah, Do exactly. you remember the phone tree? Yeah. Exactly. And in our guide, we actually give the example of the phone tree. Uh, 
uh, of how to actually develop one quickly in your church. I know. It's so cool. Okay, I want to jump to um, step five. For people who are taking notes, step four is focus on church and community outreach. Step five is strengthen preparedness through collaboration. I actually dog-eared the page that has the little box on it that says preparing as the full body of Christ. Talk with Mm. us about this. Well, you know, one of the things that I've often seen is that sometimes churches try to become almost like many disaster organizations, or in this case, almost like many public health agencies. And again, what the communities and what our folks in our pews need most is for the church to be the church and to leverage those strengths that we have. So I gave the example early on about maybe one church has a strong ministry uh, caring for the elderly. Well, perhaps another church in your community has a robust ministry caring for children uh, in your area. And if the churches can start to come together and leverage what each does well already, then we're going to have a much more uh, strong impact on those around us. So it really, I think, can be a beautiful example of how we can operate as the full body of Christ when we come together. And I've seen many occasions in disaster and other mass crises and public health emergencies that God seems to bless those collaborations. So I'm talking with Jamie Ayton. We are talking about how your church is going to uh, respond to the coronavirus, to COVID-19. We're talking about a a set of resources that's now posted at wheaton.edu backslash HDI. Um, Jamie, let's talk about step six, which is, I think, going to require just ongoing attention for all of us. And that is adapt to changing needs. Yeah, we can't stay stagnant as we approach getting ready for the coronavirus, that it's going to require regular ongoing monitoring of vetted and trusted information. So one of the things that I would encourage Christians and church leaders to do is to be able to look to trusted resources. So we, for example, if folks follow us on social media or sign up for our weekly newsletter, we try to point people embedded and research-based recommendations. You can also find some great resources at places like the CDC, Department of Health and Human Services, for example, and also to reach out to your local public health agencies for guidance on how things are unfolding in your community. So what you put in place now, it's important to recognize that you may need to continue to adapt as things progress over time. Yeah, and keeping up with the numbers and and the changing, the very, very rapidly changing landscape right now, I think is particularly challenging to people. And we don't want to seem as if we are providing inaccurate information. And so um, providing the most timely, accurate information is what we need to be doing. And so I just want to encourage um, listeners, the links that are provided in these resources are live links to continually updated websites like the John Hopkins dashboard or or the CDC or the World Health um, Organization. I mean, on and on and on, U.S. Department of Health and Human Resources. These are live links. And so when you click on it, it's going to be the most accurate, the most up-to-date information. And so you can feel um, like you are providing accurate information at the time. Um, Jamie, as we bring our conversation today to a, to a conclusion, want to encourage people to sign up for the webinar. It is at noon today, so uh, noon central today. And so we want you to uh, encourage you to communicate immediately with your pastor and other church leaders to make them aware of and invite them to join in. 
um, in this free webinar today at noon. And you go to wheaton.edu backslash HDI, scroll down uh, through the resources until you find the information about the webinar. Anything else, Jamie, that you want to add today? Well, you know, one other last final thought is in addition to us thinking about our physical health, I also would encourage churches to think about the important role that they can play in caring for the psychological health of their congregations and communities. And also on the website, uh, listeners will find a number of free resources that we've written that help to provide guidance on how to cope with some of the psychological stress that, for instance, can come from having to check the news and the media regularly with all this type of triggering information. So we want to really try to care for the whole person. So thanks again for having me today, Carmen. Oh, Jamie, we think we're so thankful for what you're doing. Um, you're going to continue to be in our prayers, and we're going to continue to look to you uh, for ongoing assistance as we walk this journey together. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, so there are a lot of people in our culture who are experiencing the disruptions uh, related to the coronavirus uh, and closures related to it and the way things, the way life is uh, becoming very quickly very different. It's disrupting many of the rhythms of ordinary daily routine. Um, for you, that, um, that may be, you know, a little bit stressful for people um, with disabilities and for families who have children on the autism spectrum, these disruptions are particularly acute. And so uh, I'm going to talk next with Dr. Stephen Grisevich from Key Ministry. It's a ministry that actually helps equip churches to not only welcome but really serve families uh, who have members with disabilities. And we're also going to talk about some um, self, self-reflective self research. I'm going to use the word research there kind of loosely. Um, apparently, 99% of Protestant uh, pastors think that their churches are welcoming a person with disabilities. Um, people with disabilities and families who have people with disabilities <clears throat> don't actually agree. So we're going to talk about that next. All right, so we're about halfway through the season of Lent. Not everybody actually like jumped in at the beginning of Lent and started any sort of disciplined reading program. And so we're going to have an Easter reading, an Easter Bible reading initiative. All right. So actually starting March the 24th. So you still got, still got what? I don't know. My math is so bad. You got, you got 11 days. You still have 11 days to sign up to join us in this Easter Bible reading initiative. So between now and March 24th, you can sign up. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to get to know Jesus on a deeper level by reading a chapter of the book of John each day, starting March 24th, concluding on Easter Monday. Why? Well, because it seemed really appropriate to read the Easter story on Easter. (laughs) So there you go. Okay, so we're going to learn about who Jesus is, why he came to earth, how he conquered the grave. Um, offering us the gift of eternal life. So you can sign up and read along with us at MyFaithRadio.com. You're going to receive a weekly email that features special content from uh, one of our show hosts, including me. I write the final one in the series. And uh, and there will be giveaway opportunities throughout as well, because, you know, we want to incentivize the reading of the Bible, even though it's just good all on its own. So sign up to join us, MyFaithRadio.com. You're looking for the Easter Reading Initiative. We'll be right back. Mom, Dad, let me guess. 
If you have teens under your roof, I'll venture to say that conflict is a regular part of your home, right? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Whether it comes in the form of intense debate or even prolonged silence, there's no getting around the natural tension in any family. It's just a part of life. So every parent needs to decide ahead of time, how will you respond when things get messy? A good intentional plan will help you keep your cool and also help your kids learn to deal with inevitable conflicts that await them in the real world. You don't do your kids any favors by teaching them to run from disagreements. When you disengage from conflict, the greatest agent of change has just left the building. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Dr. Stephen Grisevich. He heads up Key Ministry. We want to invite you to check out what they're doing at keyministry.org. Steve, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Carmen. All right. So um, I have to start on a, a, a personal note. You um, you are not doing today what you had on your original calendar to be doing. Your life has been disrupted. Um, tell folks what you're up to today. Well, my wife and I were planning on flying home from Atlanta after having dinner with our son and daughter-in-law, or our daughter-in-law, our daughter and our son-in-law last night. Um, we're going to be heading into Nashville in the next hour or two to collect our daughter and all of her books and supplies from Belmont University, because as most folks are familiar, most of our schools and universities have shut down for the next few weeks. So um, we hope that you as a family get to make the fun kind of list that we made last night around our dinner table of all the things that um, with our teenagers we might have the opportunity to do if we all have the privilege of staying home together for some period of time. So um, it, it, is a, uh, it is a different kind of life, um, not one that we expected to be living, but we're going to try to take every advantage of it. Um, it. It occurs to me, Steve, that you might also have some insight for each of us and all of us. All of these restrictions, let's say on personal space, restrictions on personal touch, the disruption of routines, um, particularly challenging if routine is what some people really count on. I'm thinking here of of children um, and adults on the autism spectrum for whom routine is really an essential component of of life. Talk with us about how to love how to love our neighbors um, in the midst of this, particularly those who might um, you know, intrude into what we consider our protected personal space, um, because that's, you know, how they're wired. They're wired to hug. Well, one of the challenges that a lot of families with disabilities deal with is that, for example, kids with cerebral palsy, you know, kids with certain developmental disabilities are much more vulnerable to um, respiratory illness than the rest of the general population. And so when we've been writing and, you know, talking to churches and people in the disability ministry community, one of the places where I think the church needs to think about stepping up is, you know, how do we care for and support, you know, families who are in our midst who have these struggles when the limitations on them may be far greater than those in our family. I mean, for example, there's a, 
you know, I have a woman who works in our practice who's a psychologist, and they actually have, there are three or four family members who are exquisitely vulnerable. And so that even the healthy folks in the family can't take the risk of, you know, going outside the house and contracting something that they might bring home. So part of what I think the church needs to think about during these times is, you know, think about, you know, think about the older people, you know, who have medical complications, who are more vulnerable, families who have kids with, you know, with complex special needs and disabilities, you know, and what kinds of things do we need to be doing in terms of, you know, bringing them food, you know, providing respite to family members in situations like this. You know, I, around the country, there are lots of churches that are announcing that they're not planning to have services like this weekend or next. You know, I think a fabulous act of worship and a way of demonstrating the love of Christ to, to our neighbors in the broader community would be to see the church step up and look at ways proactively of being able to serve those families that are more severely impacted by a situation like this one. That is awesome. Um, let's uh, let's take that one step further. I, I want you to help our listeners understand when we have school cancel- cancellations, when we have the cancellation of other places and spaces where families, particularly with children who have special needs, are um, you know are ordinarily used to having some support just in terms of even respite. Talk with us a little bit about that. How what are some tangible ways that we can appropriately offer to serve families with children who have disabilities during this time? So a couple of things that folks can think about doing would be. Um, you know, to be able to offer some relational respite, that if you have some connection with the family, you know, there are a lot of churches that do large respite events, but it's just as easy to find like one family, you know, in your community who needs a break and for parents to spend some time, you know, so that, you know, so that the grownups in the family get a chance to like get some time together, you know, have the opportunity to plan. The other challenge in a situation like this one, Carmen, and this is not just for like kids on the autism spectrum, but I see this a lot in my practice with kids with anxiety, kids who tend to be obsessive compulsive, especially in a situation like this where there's lots of stuff being spread around about, you know, the potential dangers of this illness, is that downtime is deadly for them. And if you have kids who tend to think too much, you know, and you know, when they hear something bothersome, they ruminate and they think and think and think and think and think about it and they can't let it go. You know, oftentimes, you know, their, you know, emotional and behavioral challenges increase greatly. You know, so whatever we can do to help keep kids, you know, help keep their minds busy, occupied, um, would be very helpful during a time like this. All right. So um, part of that's just going to be turning off the news cycle related to these things and being sure that um, their time and their uh, imaginations are filled with, uh, with 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 other positive things. Um, yeah, all right. more, more books, video, less you know Fox News, CNN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, Steve and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention um, to something very specific. Uh, you can actually find the article we're going to discuss at keyministry.org. There was a, a recent research project done where 99% of Protestant pastors of churches, um, you know, they describe themselves and their congregations as welcoming to persons with disabilities. I'm going to ask Steve, um, do the people who have those disabilities and the families with children with disabilities, do they think 99% of Protestant pastors and churches are good at this? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Talking with Dr. Stephen Gersevich from Key Ministry. You can read what we're talking about uh, at keyministry.org. Great resources here for churches who want to be sure that they are welcoming, prepared for, and serving children and families who have children with disabilities. Um, Steve, let's talk a little bit about this very current LifeWay research. LifeWay research released results of a study of a thousand Protestant pastors and a little more than a thousand Protestant churchgoers examining attitudes toward persons with disabilities and the supports that their churches provide. Overwhelmingly, uh, pastors and churchgoers perceive themselves, perceive their churches to be serving uh, people with disabilities and families with people with disabilities, serving them well and being very welcoming of them. Um, Do you experience a disconnect from that in terms of the reality or the lived experience of families who have children with disabilities? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I looked at the initial results of this study, you know, and the first thing that came to mind was a Cuban election when they talked about 99% of the pastors believing that they were doing a good job in this area. I mean, you know, it's very possible that, you know, that that in fact is their perception that their churches are doing well. But we know, you know, particularly from, you know, a very large research study involving families who had kids with primary mental health disabilities, that conditions like autism, depression, anxiety, and ADHD keep a great number of families from being able to attend church. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually like the, I mean, statistically, like the least served portion of our entire population are families who have a member of their family who suffers with some kind of mental illness or other disability. Like, these are the people who literally don't come to church. Well, and I think that the the flaw in the study is that they, they surveyed a thousand Protestant pastors. They surveyed a, a little over a thousand churchgoers. They didn't survey any families who had kids or, you know, adult family members with disabilities, you know, which is extraordinarily curious. You know, about five years ago, Lifeway did a similar study where they were looking at the issue of, you know, attitudes and beliefs about severe mental illness in the church. And part of that study was that they interviewed several hundred family members of adults with major mental illness. You know, why they would like ignore that group in a study like this, I don't know, because the biggest take-home point, I think, from their mental health study five years ago was the enormous disconnect between the perception of pastors and what families actually described their churches were doing to be able to support them. So let's talk a little bit about what churches are positively doing. Um, there are lots of churches. You you equip a number of congregations uh, through Key Ministry um, and your partners um, let's talk about, you know, two or three very positive examples of what churches are doing to serve families um, who have children with disabilities or mental health challenges. Well, several things that churches are doing. I mean, we had a recent example last month with like Night to Shine. We have 750 churches around the United States that are doing specific events to welcome teens and young adults with disabilities into their congregation so that that's clearly a positive. Um, one of the most beneficial supports that we find churches providing to families is some sort of free respite care. So that I know that when our church does it, we welcome approximately 85 kids each time we do respite. It takes about 250 volunteers to put this on. The respite slots are filled within an hour of when they're made available online. Families are so hungry for that. 
And we even know that a significant number of families who are outside of the church who take advantage of opportunities like respite, that there's a decent chance that within a year they'll show up at a weekend worship service at the church that's being able to, you know, to offer the respite. And then I think that that the other piece that is helpful is when when churches are doing outreach into their communities and looking at ways of being able to connect with and serve um, individuals and families with disability through outreach. You know, so that examples of this are, you know, helping to be, you know, supportive with, you know, for example, events like Special Olympics. Um, there's a very large church in our area where their Christmas gift to the community was to provide an advocate for every adult in the developmental disability system in the county who didn't have one. You know, so that there are all kinds of ways, and I'd encourage people to check out keyministry.org. We have a special needs and disability ministry leaders group on Facebook with about 2,000 members at this point um, that we would very much encourage churches that are looking, you know, looking to use this as an opportunity to share the gospel with a very much underserved population, you know, to explore ways and network with other churches that they can do so. All right. If you go to keyministry.org and, and scroll down the page, you can actually sign up for an email um, where you're going to get a free mental health ministry planning tool. Um, and so I don't want you to hear what Stephen and I are saying today as criticism of the perception that you may have of uh, of your church's response um, to people who have disabilities. What we want to do instead is encourage and equip you to get accurate information and then to be sure that you and your church is actually mobilized positively in this direction. Um, and so the free mental health ministry planning tool is just is available, you know, right there right now for free download. Um, tell us a little bit, Stephen, I mean, we hear about cancellations of all kinds of things across the country. I know you guys have your big Illuminate event um, coming up in, I'm thinking it's April. I might be making that up. Am I making that up? Last, is it April? Yeah, last weekend in April, we put on what's the largest disability ministry conference in the United States. So let me just ask this question. Is it something that people could participate in virtually? I mean, in terms oh, of like streaming? Oh, absolutely. So that we make available through our Key Ministry Facebook page, all of the main stage sessions of that conference. You know, so that, you know, Everything that goes on on our main platform, the you know our larger sessions, we have what we call quick takes, which are like you know disability ministry kind of TED talks. All of that's going to be made freely available. We are also having some discussion at this point, even though it's very early, about making other parts of the program available in one manner or another. If there are various people by the end of April who are still finding themselves in a situation unable to travel, or if our local authorities don't want large groups of people to gather. So that we are going to be having a conference. We are going to be getting the word out. And we're looking at how God may be using these circumstances as an opportunity for us to reach even more people and influence more churches. All right. So go to um, go to Facebook and like the Key Ministry page. That will keep you updated on information related to this. Um, and then also check out what they're doing at keyministry.org. Um, again, this is really an encouragement to learn more and become engaged. If this is something that the overwhelming number of Protestant pastors and churchgoers think we're already good at, maybe we ought to check out ministries that are actively doing it and sort of test, test our perception of ourselves against reality. 
um, of what churches who are engaged in these ministries actively are really doing. All right. Hey, um, Stephen, thank you so much. Blessings today as you are traveling from Nashville back to Ohio, um, you know, having collected your daughter and her things. Um, may the Lord's peace and grace be upon you. Thanks, Carmen. And thanks for using your platform to influence the church for families impacted by disability. You know, I'm one of them. So um, I, I love what you're doing. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to lift up a prayer concern here at the end of the hour. <laughs> excuse me. Many of you um, know and appreciate the ministry of Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he posted an update about his health on his own personal Facebook page. It's then been reposted on the RZIM Facebook page and many other places. Um, he had back surgery three weeks ago. We were praying for him in the midst of that. He has been uh, experiencing really acute pain since then, and they have now um, diagnosed him with a uh, a cancer on uh, on his sacrum. And so uh, it's a rare kind of cancer. They can't actually begin to treat it until he is fully healed from the back surgery. And so it's going to be another four or five weeks before they can begin treatment to shrink the tumor. He is asking for all of us to pray for him. He is expressing his heartfelt thanks for supporting the ministry uh, going forward. Um, obviously, he is not going to be doing live speaking events during this. So we want to pray for God to heal this brother, this uh, incredible ambassador. Um, and so, Father, we lift up to you our brother, Ravi. We thank you for the extraordinary ways in which you have used him in the past. And we ask, Father, that you would heal him now. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen coming up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.